This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 75th episode of the Cherry Leaf Podcast. And it's December and it's nearly the holiday season and we've got about an hour between now and the next meeting so thought we'd do something a bit different a bit of fun for our 75th podcast i'm at the british museum and i'm going to talk about a few of the things within the museum that relate to technical authoring so come and join us and we'll go around some of the exhibits and this podcast is brought to you by Cherry Leaf's Technical Writing Services. If you want more information on Cherry Leaf and what we do, it's cherryleaf.com. We'd be happy to help you if we can. And we're inside, and we're in the Great Court, which is this huge covered canopy. I think it's the biggest in Europe or in the world. In the middle of it, and in front of me, is the reading room from the old British Library. That's the place where Karl Marx wrote Das Kapital, scribbled his name in the desk. It's the place where Arthur Conan Doyle used to go as well and do research for Sherlock Holmes. And the museum itself, this museum, the British Museum, has been around since 1753. It's the first of its kind. It's the first ever national public museum in the world. And this exercise could be done more easily in somewhere like the Science Museum, or even, I suppose, the British Library, because they're dealing with more recent objects than the ones that generally are in here. But we're going to do it with the British Museum. I'm going to talk about some of the dates of artefacts. Probably going to get some of those wrong, so apologies for that in advance. And we're going off to one of the most popular rooms in the museum, Room 4. Yes, it's just as crowded and popular as I thought. In here is the Rosetta Stone. On its plinth, it's about one meter 90 high. It's a gray stone with writing on it and in a glass case. And lots of people are around it. So what we're going to do is go to somewhere else, which not many people know about. And that is where there's a copy of the Rosetta Stone which is made out of plastic and you can actually touch and look at in more detail. So we're going to leave room four and go across to room two of the museum. So what the Rosetta Stone has is it has writing of the same text in hieroglyphics, in Greek and in Demotic. So what we have is translation and we also have effectively a lookup table where you can look up the different information in three languages and the text itself you could argue is a policy not a very good policy but but you could argue it's a policy it's actually truth be told a decree so it's more a law than a policy basically saying that everyone should obey and follow the family of Ptolemy but also, if you look along the side, you'll see some writing. It's a bit clearer on the plastic copy, the facsimile, than it is on the real thing. Maybe I can see it here. Here it says, captured in Egypt by the British Army, 1801. And 
Originally, the Rosetta Stone was found by the French, and in fact, most of the translation work from the Greek into the hieroglyphics was done by a Frenchman, Champignon, if I remember correctly. But as part of the battles between France and Great Britain, Egypt fell into the British hands and so did the Rosetta Stone. And then the Rosetta Stone was moved from Egypt to the UK. But this writing on the side captured in Egypt by the British Army is metadata. It's information about the stone itself, the provenance of the stone. And on the other side it says, presented by King George III to the British Museum. So that's the first one, lookup table, reference information, translation and metadata, and arguably a policy, all on one object. Okay, where are we going now? Okay, we're going to room 91, which is I think on the third floor. Oh, this is quiet. Let's see if it's still there. So I'm in the print area, room 91 or 92, I think it is. Let's see if it's there. Ah, here it is. So right at the back. Yeah, it's out. So right at the back, it's only on display for six weeks of the year. And when it's not on display, there's a digital version that you can see on a computer screen and it's the scroll, the admonitions of the instructress to the court ladies. And it's very faded. So this is one of the most important paintings in the world. And it was originally painted around 345 AD, but then copied. And this is what they think is a, a copy of it. And what it is, is it's a set of instructions from a Chinese emperor, I think it is, to the Empress on how she should behave. And it's a moral tone that advises ladies of the palace on correct behavior. And the poem was originally written around 290 AD to reprimand Empress Jia. And uh, she used her influence to manipulate the emperor and murder rivals during a pretty unstable time within Chinese history. So according to the sign, the Empress did not follow the poem's advice and ultimately had to commit suicide. But it's about three metres long, very faded as I say, and it's painted in silk with brushwork. But a bit of technical illustration, a bit of instructional content from 300 AD, they're in a museum. Because the prints are really old and they can get faded, a lot of them aren't on display all the time, and I think there's four million different objects the British Museum has, so they can't have everything out at the same time. One other thing they have, which you can see online on the website, is by Hokusai's daughter, or one of Hokusai's daughter. She has also written a set of instructions for women. It's called The Treasury of Education for Women, and it's an illustrated book, woodblock printed. And it's designed to provide practical information that would be useful for a woman in her daily life. And it was created in 1847. And the pages illustrated depict women of different social classes, a merchant's wife, a court lady, a courtesan, and so on.
So again, an instruction book in a museum kept for posterity for people to read and follow. Now, where's the rhinoceros? So in room 90 should be Albrecht Dora's drawing of a rhinoceros from 1515, but I don't think it's out at the moment. I'll have to describe it. So rhinoceroses hadn't been around in Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then one got sent as a gift to the court of Portugal. And then it was requested that Dua did a drawing of a rhinoceros. And he'd never seen this rhinoceros. So somebody told somebody who told somebody else who told somebody else what a rhinoceros looked like. And then Dura, from that description, drew the rhinoceros. And it sort of looks like a rhinoceros, but not really. Some of the descriptions has got lost in translation. And so we have this rather weird imagination of what a rhinoceros might look like. And again, it's just that example of if you tell people orally and you pass it on from one to the other, the message can get lost along the way. And then when somebody actually has to represent it in an accurate way, they're unable to do that. Still a fantastic drawing. So uh, pity it's not out at the moment, but when it's next out, it's definitely worth seeing. And not too far away from the drawings room is room 55, which has Banalepal's library, which had lots and lots of cuneiform tablets from 612 BC. So it's the name given to a collection of over 30,000 clay tablets and fragments, which have been written in cuneiform. And the messages typically contain instructions from one merchant to a trading partner and there are different ones one has information or instructions about an upcoming shipment and the types and quantities of goods the unit price exchange rates and the like and then instructions for the caravan and the staff in terms of how they're going to get it shipped in terms of information on the accommodation and subsistence how much food to feed the donkeys and on one of them, by Bazazu to his partner, it has information that says, let them, the transporters, bring the tin by the narrow track smuggling route, if it's clear. If not, let them make small packets of my tin and introduce them gradually into Kanesh, concealed in their underwear. There's also a cuneiform tablet with a 60-line passage from the ancient Babylonian story of the Flood, which was written about 1750 BCE. That's in room 56. What it has in it, again, more instructions, more technical authoring, from 3,700 years ago. And it's instructions on how to build an ark. And in this case, the ark is actually circular or cylindrical, I suppose you would say. Uh, and that's also there to have a look at. Where now? Okay, so we're back close to the real Rosetta Stone, which was in room four. We're now in room 10C, which is for Assyria. And to the side of two walls are these huge statues of winged bulls with a human head on them. Uh, so they're from Nimrud, if I remember correctly 
from about 196 BC. And carved onto one of these, scratched into there, is a board game. And what they found actually was the real game itself buried elsewhere, and it's called the Royal Game of Ur, because I think the game was found in a city called Ur. And on this winged ball, some people that have been bored have scratched this outline of the board game so that they could play this game. And it's a sort of a simplified version of backgammon, which you play with counters and dice. And nobody knew how to play the game. There were no rules, there were no instructions. They didn't have a technical author to write the information and keep it with this inscription or keep it with the game. And so what they've had to do is infer and deduct and spend an awful lot of time trying to work out what are the rules for this game. And there's been a number of papers on it and they have come up with what they think is a pretty good idea of what the rules are. And you can now buy the game with instructions and it's a good fun game to play. It's a sort of simple, as I said, version of backgammon. And we'll provide a link on YouTube. There's actually a video of two people playing the game and it explained. But it's called the Royal Game of Ur. But if you go into room 10C, you can see it scratched out. And then if you go up to room 55 or room 56, you can actually see the game board with the pieces that they discovered in Ur, which they then be able to match with this inscribing on this statue of one of the winged bulls. Time. Ooh. Okay, so that's it, I'm afraid. So those are just a few things at the British Museum objects that have a connection to technical writing, to instructional information from hundreds, thousands of years ago. We didn't get time to look at the Lewis Chessmen, which you might recognise from the Harry Potter film, first Harry Potter film, and I'm sure there's lots more within this museum to do with instructions and information and metadata and the like displayed and presented in lots of different ways so we've got to shoot off to this meeting now but if you get a chance to come to the british museum do look at the objects that we talked about here if you spot any others in the museum let us know info at cherryleaf.com and uh, we'll see what else there is with a connection to technical writing technical communication or use the hashtag on social media Cherryleaf Podcast. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. A little bit different from normal. Normal service will be resumed in the new year.